This is the sixth and the last message in a series I've been bringing to you entitled Learning to Love. And so today we will sort of conclude the preaching on it, but boy, I sure hope we don't forget the content of what I've been talking to you about. It is so absolutely critical that uh, we practice this in our times. There are four different words for love that are translated, the English word love, but the four Greek words from the New Testament. But our focus has been on one of those words. That word is, uh, that type of love is agape love, A-G-A-P-E, meaning the kind of love that serves other people with no thought of return. If I'm doing it because it's a uh, uh, something that I'm going to re- have the favor returned is not truly agape love. It's not, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. It's not doing something with the idea that it's going to profit me. It is serving other people. It is driven by the will. Agape love is not dependent on how I feel. It is not emotion-driven. It is will driven. My will makes the choice. I choose to love because I believe that's what the Lord would have me do. I couldn't be preaching on a more relevant topic than this because our culture has changed. It's changed far more than you and I even can understand. I can promise you that. And so, America is a changing nation, changing every day. It's not the nation, it's not the country I was brought up in. It's not the country you were brought up in. And we have a challenge as a church in these very troubled times in which we find ourselves. Our challenge as a church is to become an island of love here in the middle of a sea of fear and worry, and anxiety, and mistrust, and uh, despair even in the hearts of many people today. It's a real challenge. To do that, we have to go against the grain. We can't think like the normal person around us is thinking. We think on a different plane. We, We look at life with a different paradigm. We We have a biblical worldview. Our intentions and our actions are driven by the Scripture, not by the circumstances of life or what is happening in the country. We not only have a challenge as a church, but we have a challenge as individuals. This is for me. And living in my family, going to work wherever you work, I happen to come to an office over here, but you go to wherever it is that you work and earn your living. You're out in the world. You're in the shopping. uh, you're, You're shopping in the store. You're on the internet. You're engaging with people. And wherever we go as individuals, our challenge is to show the world the love of Jesus Christ, to be a different breed of people, if you will, living among the people of the world. So we're challenged to do it as a church, and we're challenged to do it as individuals. I hope you're taking my challenge very, very seriously. My subject today 
is one fruit and nine flavors. One fruit with nine flavors. And we'll look at that, but I'm going to just go through some some facts here that I, some of them I've gone through already, but maybe I can say them a little differently because I want to reiterate them. I, I really want you to get this series of messages in your heart because there's nothing I've, I've ever preached on more important than this in terms of practical, down-to-earth Christian living. I want you to notice with me first today the prominence of love in the Bible because it's a theme that goes all the way through the Bible. I think it's about 360 or 80 times the Scripture mentions the idea of love. So it's just about on every other page of your Bible or so. It's prominent in the Gospels. If you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, over and over you're going to see Christ teaching on love in one form or another. He says, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, somebody asked him, what, are the great, what is the great commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, with all your being, with everything you have, you love God. So a vertical love, if you will. And then he said, and the second is likened to it, namely, it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's the horizontal love. So at every plane, vertically and horizontally, the, the Lord commanded us to love. He commanded it, by the way. So we know it's agape love. It's not erotic love. He wouldn't command that. He wasn't commanding brotherly love at this point. He wasn't using the word for that. He wasn't using the word for loving our families. He was using the word that we are to love one another to this agape, this unselfish love where we get back nothing for it. But we do it, out of a, we do it out of our wills. We do it because we're commanded to do it. And then we come to the writings of the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians and in the book of Ephesians and in the book of 1 Thessalonians, in all of those you'll find the same phrase over and over that we're to love one another. Love one another. Love one another over and over repetitiously through the writings of Paul. And then we come to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22. And Peter writes that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Fervently means with heat, with warmth, with, with passion. That you love one another with a pure heart, and do it fervently. There's a fervency, a warmth about our love. And then I go to 1 John, and I haven't had you open your Bible yet, but we will now. Would you turn with me to the book of 1 John? And John was known as the epistle, or the apostle, rather, of love. And in his epistles, he, he over and over, he uses this term, and I'm showing you the prominence of love that is a prominent, prominent feature of the Scripture wherever you turn in your Bible. So in 1 John chapter number 3, verse number 11, this is the message that we have heard from the beginning that we should, what? Love one another. 
This is the message that we're to love one another. He's writing to Christian people here. And then, if you will, in verse number 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we have love for the brethren. Now, I really want you to get hold of that one. We love the brethren. A mark of our salvation is that we love one another. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty serious thing there, I'll tell you. If I don't love my brother, I'm abiding in death. I don't have the love of Christ even in my heart. I go down to verse 23. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And then I go over to chapter number four, and in verse number seven, beloved, let us love one another. And I go down to verse eight, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The very nature of God is that God loves us. And I fall down to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another also. And then I go to the next verse. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, though, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected or completed in us. So the prominence of love, all the way through the Scripture, it is a prominent, prominent theme. Number two, though, I want you to note with me the priority of love, not only the prominence of love, but number two, the priority of love for one another. In other words, how important is this series of messages I'm bringing? How important is it what I'm saying to you right now? Because I know that people have heard about the love of God so many times, and they've been to church where over and over people just sort of repetitiously say, you're supposed to love one another, and it just kind of runs off of us like water off the duck's back if we're not careful. So I'm emphasizing this in this way because you've got to get this. You've got to understand that you can't be even close to what God wants you to be until we begin to understand this thing of loving one another and we begin to practice it as well. And so how important is love? Well, just think with me. Here's how important it is. Love is the reason that God sent Christ to the earth. The reason Christ came to the earth, He was drawn here by His love for us. And the thing that drew Him to the cross, where He died and poured out His life's blood, was His love for us, agape love, love where He got nothing from it. Love where most of the world is not even great, uh, grateful for it. The thing that drew Jesus Christ to the cross to shed his blood for my sins, he loved me. John 3.16 is the text verse for that. God so loved the world that he gave his son. How important is love? It's the reason Christ came and Love is what took him to the cross. But secondly, I would say to you that love is the greatest of the Christian values. I preached to you on this last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. 
and it says love is, and then it gives about 14 different things about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love behaves itself in a proper manner. Love is courteous. And it goes on and on and gives us these descriptions of love. Love is, and then it says, this is the greatest of all. Love is greater than faith. Love is greater than hope. And so love is the greatest of the Christian virtues, 1 Corinthians 13. And then I move on to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And last week I showed you that pyramid. And it started at the bottom. The base of the pyramid is faith. It's our salvation. Then add to your faith virtue. And then add to virtue knowledge. And you add these other Christian qualities. There's eight of them there. And then you come to the top of the pinnacle, if you will, of the pyramid. And what is the supreme, the supreme Christian characteristic at the top of that pyramid? It was love, agape love, love for God and love for one another. And then John 13 and 35, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, a new commandment I give to you. And what is the new commandment? Well, he just separated it from all the law in the Old Testament. The new commandment that I give to you is that you love one another as I've loved you. And then he says, it's the mark of a Christian. How do you distinguish a Christian from a non-Christian? What is the distinguishing mark that separates the person of the world and the Christian? Jesus said, it's love. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he gives us the, 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 the table by which we can evaluate it, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the basis of evaluating it. And I want you to turn to this next one, Romans chapter number 13. In your Bible, I want you to see it with me. I've not referred to it throughout this whole series, I don't believe. And in Romans chapter 13, we're talking about the priority of love. How important is love? It's number one on all these Christian virtues. And in Romans 13 and 8, owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another, now here's what I want you to notice, he hath fulfilled the whole of the law. For the, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, just stop and think with me. If, if I have love in my heart for other people, I'm not using and manipulating those people, then I'm not going to commit adultery with your wife, or you're not going to commit adultery with someone's husband. Thou shalt not kill. Well, certainly not if you have love in your heart. Thou shalt not steal. I won't take from you what belongs to you. If love is in my heart, thou shalt not bear false witness. I'm not going to lie about anybody if I have the love of God in my heart. Thou shalt not covet. I'm not going to envy and covet what belongs to you. And if there be any other commandment, he just throws everything in there. It's briefly comprehended or understood in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill, never 
would intentionally hurt or harm anybody. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You get it? You don't have to go back and read the book of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You don't have to go back there and study the Ten Commandments. Just get the love of God in your heart, and you know what? Those are going to just fall into place. That's just going to happen. That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, I wish you'd act like it was. That's pretty good there, I'll tell you. I don't have to remember but one law now, one commandment. What is it? I'm supposed to love God and get my heart full of His love, and then I'll love you. I love everything with I do that. You know, I'm not particularly an animal lover like some people are. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to spend my retirement on a puppy or something. But I read something this week that just made me so mad. I read where Dr. Fauci, I just had to get him into this message somehow. And I read where he was, that they appropriated money to experiment on puppies. And I'm not even going to talk about all the stuff they did to those puppies. I don't want to. But I thought, you know what, Dr. Fauci, I'm tired of hearing him. He needs to come and hear me preach. If he just get a hold of a little bit of this, he, it'll keep you from even hurting the puppies is what I'm saying, right? The love of God will take care of, it'll just fill your heart with love even for the puppies of the world. And boy, how we need a baptism of that in this old world today. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians with me. Now, we went there last week, but we're going back and revisiting some of these verses because these verses, I mean, they're just jewels of Scripture. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I went through all the different, uh, the different characteristics of love there in verses 4 through 8. But slip down with me to verse 13. And now abideth faith and hope and love, agape love, charity, these three. The big three, huh? But the greatest of the big three is what? The greatest is agape love. And look back in verse 13, or pardon me, verse 3, verse 3. Paul said, if I, if I gave everything that I have, if I gave all my goods to the poor, I bankrupted myself. Everything I have, I give it away to help the poor. And then he said, if I gave my body to be burned, and he's referring to martyrdom there when they burned people at the stake. If I gave everything, every possession, I gave it away to help the poor of the world, and I was willing to be a martyr and be burned at the stake out there in the middle of the lion's den or in the middle of the Colosseum with the lions. If I gave my body away and all my possessions away and I didn't have love, what does he say? It profits me nothing. That's the priority of love. That's how important it is. But now, slip back with me to Galatians, if you will. The book of Galatians, chapter number 5. And that's where I got the title for my message today. And we find a third list. We've been looking at these lists. 1 Corinthians 13 is a list of characteristics of loving people. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 through Eight is another list. There's eight virtues there. 
But now we come to the third and last verse that we're going to look at in our series. It's Galatians chapter 5, and it's verse number 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he adds joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. And against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ, Christian people, have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust thereof. But what I want you to notice, I want you to go back and note with me verse 22. And if you have your pen or pencil, I want you to circle one word, the fruit, fruit, F-R-U-I-T. It's not the fruits. It's the fruit, singular. It's not plural. And so, the title of my message, D.L. Moody said, it's one fruit, and there's nine flavors. And I like the way he expressed that, don't you? One fruit and nine flavors. And he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the rest of those define that love. They're the flavors, if you will, that love comes in. And notice that my grandchildren always have Skittles on them. I didn't know what a Skittle was until my grandkids were talking about Skittles, and then I learned there are other things like Jolly Rangers. You didn't know I was so into the children's culture, did you? So you go buy you a pack of Skittles, or you buy you a pack of Jolly Rangers, or probably there's other things as well, and they come in all different flavors. Now, I'm opening up the Skittles. Everything in the package is a Skittle, but they're in different flavors. There's grape, and there's orange, and there's lemon, and there's tangerine, and there's watermelon, and all the different flavors. But everything is a Skittle. That's what D.L. Moody was saying. D.L. Moody was saying, there's one fruit of the Spirit. It's love. And you demonstrate it with the rest of those things. The sec- he says the first of the flavors is joy. And he says, joy is love's cheerful delight in all the circumstances of life. Well, I'm okay. how are you doing today? Well, I'd be doing okay except for the circumstances. Well, the Christian says, look, I'm not going to live under the circumstances. The joy of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is working in me like a fountain springing up. And even when the circumstances are unimaginably bad, I still am going to practice love. It's in my heart. And the second flavor is peace. Love's calm in the midst of chaos. And we need that today. And Forrest sung beautifully about having peace a while ago. And the third of the flavors here is long-suffering. Long-suffering is love's patience. See, every one of them are a product of love. Long-suffering is love's patience with difficult people. Fourth flavor is gentleness. Gentleness is love's kindness. 
It's a softness in manners, a consideration for other people, a sensitiveness to them and their feelings. And then there's goodness, another flavor. That's love's virtue. That's love's moral excellence. That's righteousness in our life that we live out because of God's power. And then there's another flavor. It's faith. And faith is confidence. That's love's confidence in God's Word. And then there's meekness. Meekness is love's, uh, love's ability to not cause friction. I hear people refer to somebody and say, well, she's a drama queen. He's a drama king, you know. There's always a drama around them. Meek people don't create drama. They don't create f- uh, friction. You know, there's, there's always these people that haven't discovered that meekness idea. Man, they can improve everything. You'd be around them a few minutes. They'd make, they don't, they don't know, they're not sure if there ought to be 360 degrees in a circle. They, they have the idea maybe I ought to add one or take one away. They, they never are happy with anything. Well, that's not a meek person. A meek person is a person who doesn't cause friction. They are peacemakers in essence. And then there's temperance, the last one, which we know is self-control. But for the Christian, it's the spirit-filled person. It's love's spirit control. It goes beyond my self-control. It's the Holy Spirit controlling me. And there's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Don't say the fruits of the Spirit. That's like people who've been saved 20 years and call it the book of Revelations. It's revelation. There's one revelation, and there's one fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of love, and it's manifested and demonstrated in all these different character qualities, and we see them in 1 Corinthians 13. We see them in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we see them here in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are many other ways it's expressed. And so we gave you a little bookmark today. Those are 22 little simple behaviors. You know what they are? They're ways to show respect and thoughtfulness and love for one another when we're around each other here in the church. And by the way, you can use them at Walmart or wherever else you go this week. Those little behaviors they're just little things. They're not big, big things, but they're things that show people we accept them and that we love them and that, that we're not a threat to them. It's, it's a way of showing kindness, even non-verbally to people. And when we are full of that, I can tell you, people are going to see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Let me say one other thing about the fruit of the Spirit. You see, only God can produce fruit. You can't decide, I'm going to do these things and just sort of ratchet up your willpower and just say, you know, I'm going to just try harder to be what I ought to be. Uh -uh. The, the, The peach tree isn't trying harder to produce fruit. The, the apple tree is not laboring all day and night. Mm, i got to push out some apples. No, it doesn't work like that. It's natural. It's just what happens. It is the consequence of life 
within that peach tree and that apple tree that produces those peaches and apples. It doesn't labor at it and strain at it and say, oh my, I don't know if I can do that. It is the life of Christ working out of us as we cultivate our relationship with the Lord and as we grow and develop spiritually. It's that that produces the fruit. It's a natural occurrence. You see, men can work. Machines can work. But I never met a machine that could turn out apples and peaches. I never met a person that can turn out apples and peaches. The most brilliant chemist in the world today cannot turn out an apple. It's the life of God within us, like the life of nature in that tree that produces that fruit. And so it's our dependence upon Him and the Holy Spirit and our surrender to Him that produces these qualities, these these flavors of the fruit of the Spirit. And to show you that what I'm saying is absolutely accurate, go back up to verse 19. It compares the works of the flesh, 17 different qualities there, I think. The works of the flesh, that's what the flesh can do. The flesh can work. A machine can work. But the Spirit of God is life. And the Spirit of God produces fruit, and the fruit is love and all of the attendant flavors of it. Now, let me give you a prescription for it as we end this series. And the book of Revelation, if you'll turn over there with me to chapter number 2, there's a prescription for how to have love in our heart. I go to Revelation chapter 2, and I read just verse 1, just the phrase, under the angel of the church of Ephesus. So this is written to a local church, the church that is at Ephesus, a local church. It had an address somewhere there in the city of Ephesus. And at one time, this was a fine church. This was a wonderful church, a church that had known the blessing and power of God. In fact, Paul had written an entire letter to it, the letter, the epistle to the Ephesians. But now something has happened, and the church has grown cold. And this church no longer is the church that Paul had written that letter to that's going on with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse number 4, we find out what's wrong. After he tells them all the good things about their church, he says, nevertheless, I have something against you. You have left your first love. He didn't say you, lo- you lost it. You see, you, to leave something is intentional. In a few minutes, you're going to get up and you're going to leave the church. You're going to leave it behind. You're going to change directions. You're going to go into actions. You're going to leave something. It's not that you lost the church. You left the church. Entirely different word, right? I I emphasize that because I hear people say, well, we lost our first love. No, you left your first love, Paul said, or the apostle John says here. And I might be talking to people who In your own heart, you've left your first love. 
The love of God is not the dominant thing, the driving force in your life right now. If you be judgment day honest and look down inside and, and admit it, you stop doing the things that kept your heart warm. You left. You moved away from the position you once had of love for Jesus Christ first in your heart. And what are some of the symptoms of that? Well, probably you quit having your quiet time. Probably. You see, I, I, I don't meet Christians who are really thriving and going on with the Lord and growing and excited about Jesus and the things of the Lord. I don't meet people like that who are meeting with God every day. A few years ago, the Focus on the Family ran a poll among pastors All over America, thousands of pastors filled out the poll. And they found out that that year, 1,600 people, 1,600 pastors had left the ministry because they were addicted to pornography. And they were either discovered or they confessed it, and they got out of the ministry. 1,600 pastors. How does that happen? How in the world can a man stand in the pulpit and be filling his mind with that stuff? Then they did a little deeper study. To a man, those men had stopped long before the problem showed its head. They had stopped meeting with God every morning, every day in their Bible and in prayer. Their devotional life had disappeared. It was gone. I'm telling you, if you're not feeding your soul every day from the Word of God, you will be weak. And you will fall. And your heart will grow cold. It doesn't take a heart with a fallen nature but a few hours to just get cold as an iceberg. We've got to constantly replenish. People who have left their first love have probably quit having their quiet time. They started making excuses for why They didn't go to church, or they couldn't go to church. If you can rationalize it to yourself, then it's okay. I don't understand today. We look over the building, there's a pretty good crowd of people here, but there's empty seats everywhere. And before COVID, those seats were pretty well full. There's no reason for anybody to not be here now. There was seven, eight cases in Florence County with all the testing we're doing. We're not in the middle of an epidemic here. We were. We had some real problems. But you see, once you begin to grow cold, you can rationalize just about anything. They drift into worldly habits, and we leave our first love. We quit talking to people about Jesus, and we leave our first love. And what did Paul say to do? Here's the prescription real quick. I said, what did Paul say? It's John. i got to get that right, don't I? Look in verse 5. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember. Go back in your mind, in your memory, and think about what what was it like when you got saved. When you discovered what it's like. Man, it's like breathing fresh air, clean air. My conscience is clear. I've been forgiven. God loves me and accepts me no matter what happens. That's the way you felt when you first got saved, and then 
We get used to it, don't we? Remember, he said, from where you've fallen. And then he said, repent, which means to change your mind about your sin and about yourself and about your Savior. Repent. And then what does he say? And do the first works. Do the first, do the basic things. Remember what it was like when your heart was warm toward Jesus. Repent, turn from the way you're now going, and begin to do those basic things that keep us warm toward the Lord Jesus. Start that family altar, that personal quiet time. Jesus said three times in John 14, the way you prove your love to him, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you obey me. If you love me, you obey me. Here's something that I do. This is a practice of mine. I won't say I do it 365 days a year. I'll say I do it about uh, 300 days a year. I pray Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I have it memorized, and I don't have to look it up. But I pray, Lord, give me the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Help me, Lord, to show the love of Jesus Christ. I pray this to the Lord over and over and over. Give me joy. Give me all those qualities, peace, patience, kindness and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, spirit control. And I pray those over and over. And it helps me as I go through my day to remember those qualities. And believe me, I'm not perfect with them. But I know there is no Christianity, any real practical living out of Christianity, if I don't have those qualities. Adrian Rogers said it better than it's ever been said. There is nothing wrong with any Christian anywhere that a good old-fashioned emotional case of love for Jesus wouldn't cure. That'd take care of it, wouldn't it? There's nothing wrong with any Christian anywhere, any place, that a good old-fashioned case of emotional love for Jesus Christ wouldn't cure. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.